Tartos Bridge for a while, but uh, I'm sure we'll get through it. So we're going to be continuing with the uh, Luke. We're going through the book of Luke. So Chris is um, understanding very well. Um, I'm up to the beginning of chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. As you can see behind me, I've um, entitled my sermon Eerie and Hairy. <laughs> Which, uh, which you'll you'll get to understand why as we talk about it together. Uh, but this little intro, I thought we'd set the scene a little bit before we delve into, into, the, into the scripture. When I was um, 18 years of age, which is not long ago, no, years ago, ago. I, uh, I was a bartender. No I was way. A flair bartender. One of these people who did all the flair and I used to, I loved my job. I loved just being the don't you know about do cocktails and do that. I just love trying magic tricks and you know, entertaining the crowd. It was really up my street. I love, I love that job. And one day, uh, a man came in on a date with his, uh, with his lady friend. Oh. And I got chatting with him and his wife. And he was a really nice guy, this guy. He was, uh, knew, really knew how to treat a woman, bought a cocktail, had a nice car, wore a shirt. He was a real gentleman. I thought, man. This, and I remember I got into conversation with him about, I think maybe wine or whiskey, I can't remember what it was, but he was a really, really nice guy. And uh, you know, he had a great meal, had a great time, his lead friend. And then a couple of months later, maybe six months later, he came in again. And uh, I said, I remember you. You know, he drank that wine, it was that whiskey, and I remembered him, you know, we had a bit of rapport. And then uh, yeah, he was in six months ago, wasn't he? And he went, Don't. I was in six months ago. Oops. Oops. Yeah. And I quickly realised that I didn't recognise the woman. <laughs> <laughs> didn't recognise the woman. This time he was in with his wife. Oh, oh. He was in with his wife. And I just wanted the world to swallow me up and just to go into. Hypocrisy is all around us. It is all around us. And uh, in today's passage, we'll be uh, studying um, effectively about hypocrisy. Uh, the Lord Jesus would warn his disciples to avoid the leaving of the Pharisees, which he says is hypocrisy. Three questions come to my mind when I, when I look through the scripture. And. Um, so, well, let's read the passage first, and we'll, we'll go for the questions why I have, and then we'll seek to answer them from the So, let's read the scripture together. So it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have seen in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the air of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooms. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after the body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's why I'm titled the first part of the title, Eerie. It's a little bit eerie so far, isn't it? Hmm. That makes me feel a bit eerie. 
are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. It gets hairy. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns you before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And anyone who seeks, speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will have to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. There's quite a lot in that passage. And uh, I'm, I decided to do my Simeonian this morning just on the first, up to maybe uh, verses 7. Uh, it's too much to try and discover and uh, you know explain the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But uh, we can do really that another time. We can do that in your own time. Um, so the questions I have when I read through the script with the scripture, these are the questions I have. In what way is hypocrisy yeast-like? Why is it yeast-like? What does that actually mean? In what way is hypocrisy a danger to disciples, to, to us in our lives? But why do we fear? What do we fear? Is there anything such is there such a thing as a, as a healthy fear? So verse one. The first set the scene. Why are they trampling on each other? You know, I, I thought this was quite an eerie scene, and I, I imagine that um, that the people who have tried to get to the front of the crowd and they can hear Jesus, don't forget that they have planes back then, they have loudspeakers and amplifiers. So they had to have to get near Jesus to hear what he was saying. Maybe it was a confined space. But they certainly don't seem to have regard for one another. They don't seem to be respectful of one another. They seem to be just getting to the best spot to hear Jesus. My guess is that not everyone's motive is pure. Back then Jesus would have been seen maybe as a celebrity, as a uh, as maybe uh, as more anything else. It, it reminded me kind of like a pop concert where people are ready to the doors to be opened and they will just Bring to the front and run to the front of the pop concert to get to the front, to get to their artist, to be the closest and they can touch him. Oh, little brother, let me touch him. <laughs> wow, that was amazing. <coughs> That's what I think yeah. is, uh, is, is happening here. But uh, the crowds may have heard Jesus' words. But actually, as we see in the scripture, Jesus is actually not addressing the whole crowd. He is addressing just his disciples. For Jesus, it was a time for him to prepare them for the persecution what would surely and quickly come. Yeah. The outside, the Pharisees looked absolutely delightful. They looked fine. They had long, pious-sounding prayers. They uphold the trappings and trimmings of men's dignity and holiness. But inside, Jesus said, they were full of greed, 
and wickedness. And he says that in the previous chapter, in verse 39. But how can the disciples possibly be tempted to be hypocritical like the Pharisees? The answer, I believe, is that the form of hypocrisy which would be tempting for the disciples is a different form of hypocrisy which characterised the Pharisees. Jesus pointed to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and showed it to possibly to be evil. It is this type of hypocrisy that Jesus had a big issue with and is not afraid to speak out against it and in the end suffers the consequences for speaking out against it. So, Jesus warns his disciples against all types of hypocrisy. But as he goes on, it will be obvious what form of hypocrisy the disciples will be tempted to commit. So before, before we identify the form of hypocrisy that the disciples you know, would be tempted to commit and, and did commit, let us first look at those characteristics which are, form, which are part of every form of hypocrisy. It's something quite funny. Now the word hypocrite is actually a Greek word. And I can't pronounce the Greek word, but it's using acting. It's translated into, uh, it once became part of the Romance tongues. Uh, the word hypocrite was introduced in the English form into medieval French in the years after the Norman invasion. So it came from France. Or you have got uh, funny images in my mind of the French kind of English hypocrites. The first recorded usage in the Oxford Dictionary is in the year 1225. So it's been around for a long time, the word hypocrite. And it means to be an actor on stage. And it changed even in the Greek to have a negative connotation. It still carries today. The hypocrite is never genuine. He is always acting. It, it is kind of the underlying basis of being insincere in life. So, these are the different forms of hypocrisy, what I can find. So, and some of you may relate to, some of you might relate to, some of you might find. So, hypocrisy, number one, is the conformity to the values and expectations of someone else. Hypocrisy is bowing to the idol of other persons' values, which are not really our own. Hypocrites are just to accommodate their appearance to what people think or feel. Hypocrisy is an inconsistency. Hypocrisy is a discrepancy between what appears and what is, between the way things seem and the way things are. The Pharisees appear to be righteous on the outside, on the outside, but in reality they are wicked. Hypocrisy is deliberate deception. Hypocrisy is a deliberate, deliberately appearing to be what we are not. It is not accidental, but purposeful. Hmm. Hypocrisy is deception by our, own, by our actions or our words. Hypocrisy is often acting in such a way that people come to the wrong conclusion. This, to a large degree, was the true of the Pharisees. It is also possible for our words to represent us in a way that are not true in fact. We tempted to tell about our weakness in our days and our, you know, how things are going in a way what is good on the ear but not real. And hypocrisy is the deliberate perception either a positive or negative motivation. Generally speaking, we are hypocritical either to men's praise or to avoid their persecution. Number two, then, um, 
the inconsistency. It reminds me of um, it reminds me of Basil Fawlty from Fawlty Towers. <laughs> because um, he was the kind of guy where he was really nice to his guests. Uh, when they were in there, as soon as they went, he was calling them every single name with the sun. Yes, it was yes. so funny. It was so funny. <laughs> and then in, in number three, um, Johnny English came to mind. <laughs> deliberate deception. Hypocrisy is deliberately appearing to be what we are not. It is not accidental, but personal. But think, think of the thing is, accidental. Because he was really, really rubbish at being a spy. Johnny English. And he convinced the world that he was a really good spy. But by pure accident, yeah. managed to pull things up. <coughs> you know, and a lot of hypocrisy is, is the basis of a lot of humour. A lot of British humour is based on that, that something funny about hypocrisy, something quite entertaining about it when we see it for its glory. But I've highlighted number five there. Who springs to mind in your minds when, when we think about disciples later giving in to fear? Who, who is it you can think of who, who, gave in, who gives in to fear? Can you think of anyone? Peter. Peter. What did Peter go on to do? He went on to the night Christ, he did. That's what's brought to my mind. Because I think this, this is what Jesus is most afraid of for his disciples. Because he knows persecution is coming. He knows he is going to be persecuted. And this is the form of hypocrisy what the disciples are in danger of committing. Not like the Pharisees, a different type of hypocrisy, but still hypocrisy. Let's read Peter, uh, Peter's story then, in Luke 22, 55. And it says, when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, Still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He committed hypocrisy out of fear. <coughs> Peter and his disciples hid their allegiance to Christ out of fear of man. In fact, Peter actually went better than his disciples. All the other disciples were just, they were just gone. <laughs> Peter stuck around a little bit longer, but he fell in the end. There is a Christian, and there's certain things about your Christian life that causes your anxiety, or your fear. One of the, the fears we often face in a Christian life is the reaction of other people. When we declare ourselves to be Christians, maybe, sometimes there are repercussions for that persecution. Some of us actually have experienced persecution from friends, or so-called friends, from our families, and that really is painful when we think there's a degree of 
honesty and trust there that they, they turn their backs or they, they stop being friendly, they, 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 they withhold, they hold back. But what, what do you fear? Well, why do we fear? What does the world around us tell us? Well, the world around us tells us that becoming a Christian, so sorry, becoming a Christian, do you fear giving up stuff? I think for me, becoming a Christian, that was that was the biggest thing. Can I give up? Um, not drinking. Can I give up smoking? Can I give up and you know, never take uh, another cigarette or drink or? Or split because that's what I was into. Could I really live a pure life and not be tempted to sleep with a woman? Can, can I really do this? I remember on the edge of that, on the edge of my baptism, that day I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm fearful that I'm going to be tempted, not going to handle the temptation. I'm fearful that I'm going to fall short. And then the temptations are then not to go through it because you think you're going to fail. Peter was afraid Jesus would die. And he was fearful for his own life as well. The world hated Jesus. And Peter found that he was not prepared to face the ridicule and persecution that Jesus was suffering. Earlier, Jesus had warned his disciples as well as today. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Peter quickly found he wasn't as nearly as bold and courageous as he had proclaimed earlier. In fear, he denied the one who loved him three times. Let's look at verses 4 to 7. Actually, someone some read that out. Verses 4 to 7 from verse 12. Uh, average red person has 90,000. I'm not sure about 
African Americans are, you know, <laughs> maybe hundred thousand. All I know that is I'm losing my hair on a daily basis. <laughs> and that Jesus knows how many hairs I've got left to go. <laughs> <laughs> but that's comforting in a way that Jesus knows. And think about it, Jesus knows absolutely every single intimate detail of myself. He knows everything. When I think about that, when I think about Jesus, and I think about what Jesus is trying to say here, I think he's trying to say this. I think he's trying to say to me that he's got my back. Mm. Understand. When I'm on a tough day, when a hair falls out of my head, he knows about it. He's ready to be protecting of me. He's ready to provide for me. He's ready to provide a way out for me. He's ready to share my load. Ready to forgive, ready to care. He wants to say to me that his power, his love has the power to overcome any fear in my life. You know, at the beginning, oh, time to. Okay. Okay. At the beginning of the of the of the Sinonian, had a few questions. And well, my first question was, in what way is hypocrisy yeast like? Well, we all know what yeast does, right? It helps bread to blossom and bloom and perform. It starts small and it grows quickly and silently. Apparently the Greek word for yeast is zoom and it means the one that plays a part. Back in Jewish times they thought hypocrisy was the was the energy of sin. That's how they viewed it. It kind of makes sense. Yeast is the energy of, of bread and it makes it puff up. Hypocrisy is almost like it's the energy of our, of our sin. Because effectively what, what it means is that we're not being sincere, we're not being honest. And once you start down that path, it leads to other sins and pride and deceit and, and things. It can be a catalyst, the energy what makes it thrive and grow and perform. The second question we asked was, in what way is hypocrisy a danger to disciples? Well, it's all about evil. I think we can be tempted to be more spiritual and righteous and good than we really are, or to appear more. We pretend because we fear men. We fear what people think of us. We also fear being found out. Peter feared being found out because he didn't want to end up like Jesus. Hypocrisy does to the ego what yeast does to the dough. Puffs up, turns into pride. And our character, our character is worsened and is worsened for We need to avoid that first bite of hypocrisy. God would rather have a blunt on his sinner and someone who puts on the act of goodness. God wants sincerity. He wants our loyalty and openness and simple perfection. He knows that we can't achieve it without him anyway. But why do we fear? The third question was, why do we fear? What do we fear? Is this the thing is a, is a healthy fear? I think it's natural to fear. Everybody does. We all have different fears. And it spirals. Food, baked beans, you know, going outside, heights, um, swimming, yeah, 
That's nice. It's natural to fear, isn't it? Danger, danger, our bodies scream danger. You know, it's a natural reaction. Everybody fears, but we must be on our guard as to how that can lead us not to be sincere with God and with each other. Pretending because of what, because of the fear of what people think does not lead to our change. Being open, honest, helps us to grow. We can change what we are willing to admit we fall short with, what we struggle with. If we're not even willing to go there, we effectively lie to ourselves. Some Pharisees were like this. You cannot even start a journey of change if you are not willing to admit where you're at. To Jesus, this was deeply, deeply upsetting for the Pharisees. He knows that we cannot have a real relationship with Him, with God, and each other if we cannot be sincere with Jesus and with God and with each other. You know, on Wednesday night, in the great night with the brothers, we, uh, we got together and we discussed how do we be clean, how do we be clean from within? And everyone shared really nicely. Everyone shared openly and sincerely. And I think in times so healing and needed in our, in our Christian lives, we can be honest and open. And I shared um, the thing I struggle with is a kind of hypocrisy of a double standard. I will judge my wife harshly. I will judge my kids harshly. I will be controlling out of fear that I'm not going to do the right thing or fear, especially for my kids, I'm not going to try to be Christians, I'm not going to follow God. And I can control the fear and actually I can gloss over my eyes in it. that, okay, God forgives me. Surely that's insincerity because I'm not being insincere and open close where I'm at. How more powerful would it be maybe if I shared with my sons that I struggle? We lie to the Spirit, in that sense. The Spirit cannot walk, work in me if I'm not willing to have an open, to have a sober judgment of myself. To seek Jesus as my strength and helper is what God wants. So the biggest motivator for me is to remember God's care, His loyalty, His willingness to forgive me. Without that, I would not want to confess. I would not want to change. A relationship that is filled with grace and encouragement is an arena that I can grow in. An arena, an arena of judgment, condemnation, feeling that I've never been good enough, always a failure, which I guess is how people felt about some Pharisees, and certainly how Jesus saw them. We can never survive our growing or be loyal to one another. In a moment we can take communion together. Before we're going to see how Jesus deals with our hypocrisy, our fears. In John 21, we see how Jesus deals with Peter here, and what happens. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. Do you know that I love you? Jesus said, feed my hands. Again Jesus said, Simon the son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Simon, said to him, Simon the son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you are younger, you dress yourself and went where you want to. When you, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter glorified God. This is how Jesus deals with Peter. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't say, you just where was you? Am I now time of need? You just did a runner. You, you let me down. You wasn't there for me. That's not what he says. Then words, without them words, Peter, what Jesus says there to Peter, Peter would not have been the healed man that he went on to be. And he shouldn't have not have had the courage to go in through and start the church, you know, through Acts, and to have the courage to preach. He'd been there, he'd done them. He realised how much he hurt Christ, but he realised that actually it doesn't matter if I fail because Jesus is always there, wanting to forgive him. What I mean about the arena we're living in. What kind of arena are we living in? Are we living in a arena of grace, of encouragement? Jesus knew that Peter was good enough to be responsible for starting his church, for spreading the message of Christianity. What an amazing platform Peter had because of Jesus and the way he was. The Pharisees were like that. They wanted you to feel like you're not good enough, so they could feel better than you. Are we tempted to do that in our Christian lives, to live our Christian lives, like in the distance that you know, I'm more spiritual than the person? That makes me feel good. It gives me a sense of achievement or a sense of worth. Jesus can see what it is. You really can. I think we need to be like Jesus. No matter how much or how many times people fall short, you need to encourage people that they can do what plan and the will of God for their lives. For Peter, it's starting the church. For us, it's something different. It's living in Watford, it's living in Ten Valley. I don't know what it is for your life. But Jesus wants you to know that you'll never be condemned. You'll never, it doesn't matter how much you fall short, you'll always be there for you. Let's read, uh, just to finish off and take communion, this, this is I think one of the most all-encompassing scriptures kind of explains this for me in Hebrews 4.16. This is therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the hill of heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We all have times of need. Every day we have times of need for forgiveness. But we've got to be willing to admit that in order to get help. You have to be sincere and honest. 
You know, Jesus died for every single little and big sin in our lives. But it's meaningless unless we are willing to say that we need help. The Pharisees were like that. They derived something. Jesus saw that as an absolute danger. And he saw that also fearing man as an absolute danger for our growth and for our Christian lives. When Jesus died on the cross, he was fearful but went through it because he saw how much it meant to us that we could be set free from that fear. He had to go through it. But yet he didn't give in to the fear and died a brutal death on the cross. That has also always got to be every day the amazing thing that motivates us to, to live a Christian life. Let's pray before to the bread morning. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your sincerity. We thank you, God, that you give us the, um, the things we need when we ask them for. We ask them for them, God. We thank you, God, that your death, your victorious death on the cross, sets us free from fear. God, we thank you, God, that um, you warn us of the dangers of living in fear of man and the dangers of being hypocrites and insincere God. Father, when we seek you and we seek to find a way to get over our fears, God, you always come to our rescue. You always come to our aid. And we thank you, God, that um, the cross can be a motivator every day for us to forgive ourselves, to be sober, and to start afresh. Thank you, God, that the cross helps us to be real. Thank you, God, that you can see all things. Please let, let us be a comfort to us, God, because of your caring and merciful character, God. Knowing, God, that you want to protect, provide, find a way out for us, God, and walk as children with us, Father, until we see your face and we rise again, Father. Father, we thank you, God, for this time. We pray this in the name.